My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. Uh, for those of you online, I'm going to be looking this direction because everybody's sitting over here today. So this is the... I'll just angle. It'd be kind of fun. But uh, we're in Mark chapter 14, starting a new section today, uh, which seems totally appropriate for how we care nothing for the ecclesiological calendar uh, and as it relates to uh, big events and what's going on in the world. Uh, but we're starting Mark 14:53 today, and the handout is beefy. And it's beefy because we'll be using this handout until, Lord willing, January 16th. So hang on to this one. Uh, don't let it go. But uh, we'll start with our question that we ask each week. What is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark that we've studied so far? So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? I'll say hello to some friends online. So Jessica, Ron, the Jonikas, uh, with an extra friend. Hello, extra friend. And uh, Miss Miller. So good to have you guys with us online. So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we have studied so far? Dave? Uh, Jesus uh, essentially tells on himself. Uh, verse 61, there's no accusation against him that Finally, the, um, the high priest asks him, you know, are, are you Christ the Son of the Blessed? And he says, I am. So, I mean, be comfortable when I tell him that. So. <laughs> That's funny. So those of you online, uh, Dave said Jesus essentially tells on himself in verse 61 uh, because he is, he's not actually accused of anything that's, that's going to stick, right? It's not right. Uh, legitimate charges there, so that's funny. And, and that's funny. But the, what, what he gets accused of is actually the truth. Yes, that's exactly right. And, and that's exactly that right. Until, you know, yeah. I know Mark, you know that I steal a cookie out of a cookie jar. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. All right, let's go ahead and read uh, the second half of Mark chapter 14. We'll start with verse 32, uh, read through 72. So Mark 14. Also, this is week 146 in Mark. Uh, and if you flip through a couple of pages into the handout, you will find page 500 of the handout. Um, I just thought that was kind of cool, so... It's ridiculous at this point. It's utterly ridiculous. So. so let's read through Mark chapter 14. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? 
Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping. For their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came up, he went at once to him and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do you need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him and saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know of this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Mark chapter 14. So on your handout, uh, we'll start with the question, uh, are there any literary or structural observations? And the, the sentence that I've kind of given here for the what's going on with this text is Jesus' prophecies about the religious leadership conspiring to convict him come to pass. So obviously we know that Jesus fulfilled several different roles. Uh, he was Savior, he's Lord, uh, he's God, but he also was a prophet. 
in that he would foretell things and then they would come to pass. And he's done this, we've seen several times throughout Mark's gospel telling his disciples, this is what's gonna happen, this is what's gonna happen, this is what's gonna happen, and it all happens and it's awesome. But I want you to see the structure of Mark 14, 53 all the way to 72. So in 1453, we are focused on Jesus. In 1454, we have one verse about Peter. In 55 through 65, we see Jesus again. And then in 66 to 72, we come back to Peter. And Mark's not doing this on accident. There's a comparing and contrasting of the faithfulness of Jesus with the unfaithfulness of Peter. And, and that would be neat if, if it was just a structural thing, and that's fine. But remember, Peter's the one talking to Mark who's dictating what's going on. So Peter himself is contrasting his own unfaithfulness with the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, which I think is mind-boggling. Because if I'm, if I'm going to help somebody write a book, I was talking to... Uh, um, right before Sunday school. Chris Cordes, a few minutes before Sunday school. All I could see was bald head. Um, and uh, sorry, Sean. It's no offense. No offense, brother. Uh, but he was saying that his brother has written a book, and he, Chris shows up in the book a couple of times. And none of the times that Chris shows up in the book is it a... like rivetingly positive story. It's associated with tragedy when he shows up, right? And if I'm gonna have my name in a book, I would love for it to be on the positive side, on the upswing, you know, something really good. But Peter here compares and contrasts his faithfulness or his unfaithfulness with Jesus' faithfulness. And I think, it's, I think it's a really neat literary tactic that Mark is using uh, as they go through here. All right, yes? Yes, it's encouraging. Tell me more. Absolutely. Yeah, he, he's, he's a shockingly relatable character once we realize we're all in the same leaky boat. Yeah. Right? I mean, like it's... <laughs> the only person here in, in, in all of Scripture that's going on is Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, um, there's a reason we don't in this class camp out with the prophets the majority of the time. Um, it's shockingly complicated and difficult. <laughs> like, it's really, really challenging stuff. So let's take a look at uh, verse 53 here. So this is Jesus before the council. Uh, and they led Jesus. So who's the they? We'll start off. We've got to identify these pronouns. Right, who's the they? The who? The guards, right? This rabble that came with Judas, right? They came, they just got him in Gethsemane. So they are leading him uh, to the high priest. So the high priest actually wasn't there because they're going to the high priest. And uh, some of you have heard or read 
that the trial, I'm going to do it this way, that you got to watch me. The trial that Jesus had had some challenges, right? And we're, we're going to talk about several of those today. Um, and, and what might be challenges and what, what might not be challenges, but we'll, we'll get through some of those. But I do want you to look at this. Uh, verse 53 is very helpful. Um, so, and they led Jesus to the high priest. And I've highlighted the word singular there, right? This is a Greek word. This is strong 749. And all the chief priests, and if you look at the word, the Greek word for chief priests, it's the exact same Greek word. It's just um, plural now. So when we have a singular, it is... So when we have a singular, this word refers to the high priest. When we have a plural, this word refers to the chief priest. Now, the, the difference is uh, the high priest is like the highlander, right? There can only be one at any given, like, you, there is one and only one high priest. Um, the best decal I think I've ever seen on the back of a vehicle. Uh, I, I should have taken a picture of it and put it up on the PowerPoint but it was all these stick figures with no heads, one guy on the end with a sword with a head directly underneath the Highlander logo on the back of a car. And I was like, that is perfect. That is perfect. Um, and yet one more reason why I love you guys, because I can make jokes like that and you get them. Um, and my wife is looking at me like, I don't, I don't want to watch that movie either. So here's cool. It's okay. Uh, so the high priest was the one who on the Day of Atonement went into the Holy of Holies, did the thing, like that was their primary job. The, the, the other primary job of the high priest was to oversee all of the other priestly structure. So if you think about all the sacrifices that needed to be made, all the religious, like it's, you, you just can't have one person do all of that. So this is this additional structure. And it says all the chief priests. Now there's, there's actually a difference between chief priests and regular priests. We're not going to get into all that. We have to go back to David and... It, it's, it's quite complicated, but these are like the, the mid-level, you can think of them as mid-level management in the chief, in, in the priest structure. So they got the high priest there, you got all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. So where is this group described earlier in Mark? They are described in Jesus' prophecies about we're going to be delivered into their hands. So this is all coming true. This is the way this works. This is Jesus' prophecies coming true. So verse 53 is this great big stamp of God's approval on Jesus' prophetic ministry, validating, yes, what this prophet says is actually true, it's, which is really helpful for us because if his words were true and faithful then, his words are true and faithful now, and this is good for us. So verse 54, again, this, we're going we're gonna, to, you know, scene change. We go over to Simon Peter. Verse 54, and, and Peter had followed him. And if you stop there, you're like, well, that's great. Peter's following. He's, he's back on the horse. He's, he's doing what he needs to do. And then it, there's the phrase, at a distance. And you're like, well, dang it. Because this is the opposite of what a disciple is supposed to do with a rabbi. Right? You guys have heard this phrase, uh, one rabbi or one disciple to another disciple, a prayer might be, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Right? You want to be close enough that the dust that the rabbi is kicking up off the ground gets on your clothes. Like That's how close you need to be to your rabbi. 
So following your rabbi at a distance, completely and totally not what disciples do. This is not, so we know Peter is not in full obedience mode. Uh, so right into the courtyard of the high priest. So where is the courtyard of the high priest? So first, what is a courtyard? It's like an entrance, right? So it's an uncovered front yardish that usually is surrounded by walls that is the part you walk through before you get to the house. Okay? This word is a uh, this word courtyard is a shockingly flexible word. When it's used of a king or someone in a uh, high governmental authority position, it's almost always translated as palace. When it's used in a normal poor person, it's translated as uh, the, the entrance. And when it's used of like somebody in mid-level wealth, it's usually a courtyard. So it, it can go anything from... Like context really matters how you define and interpret this word into English. So we know the high priest is going to be, you know, on the higher end of uh, wealth. So this is his courtyard, and this would have been a pretty good sized place, right? So this is the setting. So who's Peter hanging out with? The guards. Now, what time of day is it? It's nighttime still, right? We've just come from the garden when it was dark. We've come over. So who are these guards? The same people that took Jesus. That's exactly right. Now, think about how simultaneously brave and stupid Peter is to do this particular action right here. Like these are the people who literally just arrested and took away his rabbi. And he's going to go sit down at a fire where there is light coming off of this fire. And unlike us, they weren't all wearing masks, right? It, I mean, just think about the, like, is this, is this really the brightest? And there was, from the records that we have of the interaction in Gethsemane, there was only one person who violently objected to the arrest. And it was Simon Peter. So... If there was somebody that may have had the whatever the Roman equivalent of a warrant out for them, like it, it feels like Simon Peter would have been the next on the hit list of arrestees. So I think it's just a shocking decision for Simon Peter just to go follow Jesus here. And the crazy thing is we don't actually... What's that? Yes, that's exactly right. He's probably been planning something stupid. Yeah, that's right. That's a... That seems really safe. So Josh just said he was rash in everything, and he's probably planning something stupid. Like, yep. But it also might explain his vehemently denying, because that meant he should have been arrested right now. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. If he was one of them, yeah. he he gets hauled inside the house, right. and he's the next to be put on trial. I mean, this is right. not going to be good for Simon Peter, right? Oh, he might have been, yeah. And this is, like, this is the, um, I, I'm intrigued by what we don't have in Scripture sometimes. And I, I don't want to get into the guessing game. I literally just taught a lesson last week about not guessing. But in none of the Gospels do we have the explanation for why Simon Peter is there. Which 
Could be he never told anybody because it was so stupid. <laughs> or the Holy Spirit was just being really kind and not recording that. For, right? I mean, there's, just, there's all sorts of reasons why th- this is what it is. But, but he's sitting with the guards. So he's actively not following Jesus closely like he's supposed to. He's sitting with the wrong side. He's sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. So then, so, so scene change back to Jesus, verse 55. Now the chief priests and the whole council. Now what's the, what's the Greek word after whole council there? On page 497, about a third of the way down, the whole council. Synedrion. And what does that sound, what English word sort of kind of maybe does that, if you squished it and slurred it a little, what does that sort of sound like? Sanhedrin, yes. This is the Sanhedrin. Um, and if you, so, so tell me what you know about the Sanhedrin. Let's talk about the Sanhedrin for just a second. Is this a group of guys that got together to play bridge? Or do they just like late night dinner parties? Or like what's the Sanhedrin about? They actually, at this point in Judaism's history would have been mostly comprised of Pharisees. Um, but religiously, this is the, you can think about them as Israel's high court. Like this is, this is the highest court in the land. You really can't appeal to anybody above them. It's the religious court, which was the only kind of court that uh, Israel ever had. They only ever had a religious court. The religious court dealt with all matters we would call it a religious court because the basis of their law is the Old Testament law, right? So it handled uh, civil and uh, and not any kind of any kind of law they had to be an expert on. But remember, the law was the Old Testament plus all this stuff they had piled on top of it. Remember us talking about that. So this is what they're sifting through when they're looking at any particular uh, issue. Now, I want to show you one more. I want to show you one more verse real quick. So Mark 15, 43. So just turn a page over. 15, 43. So it says, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the... The what? The council. This is the Sanhedrin who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Okay? So just, just keep that in the back of your mind because we're going to get to a word here in a second that you're going to go, well, that's kind of weird behavior. All right, let's, let's come back. So the whole council were seeking, and this is an imperfect, so this is repetitiously seeking, testimony. There's our, it's one of my favorite Greek words, martyria. Uh, it's where we get our English word martyr. Right? So if you testify for something and it ends up killing you, this is how the, the word actually changed uh, definitions over time. But back then it was just, I'm just going to testify in court. So they were looking for, uh, they were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. So what's the first thing the council is focused on? Like what does the text just say? Putting him to death. Testimony against Jesus to put him to death. All right, great. I just want to make sure. Order is going to matter here in a minute. But they found none. 
And the word found is imperfect. So they repeatedly sought and they repeatedly found nothing. Which, okay. So let's keep going with Jesus' story here. So verse 56. For many bore false witness. Now, I want you to look at the Greek word for testimony, martyria, and then look at the Greek word for bore false witness, pseudo-martyria. You're like, oh, I, I think I can do that one. <laughs> I think this one makes sense. There we go, right? This is good. So, for many bore false witness, and again, this is imperfect, repeatedly. Repeatedly bore false witness against him. But their testimony did not agree. Which is really kind of funny because they, they couldn't even get people to lie about him consistently. And I, I don't know if you've ever... I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where there was testimony that was coming against you, maybe not in a court of law, probably not in a court of law, but if there was some, something at your work or something in your family where there's all these different stories and none of them meshed up and you're in the middle and it's just, you know, like, ugh, this is a mess. And this is it's just a mess. It's absolutely a mess. Now, this word for their testimony did not agree, the word for agree shows up again in verse 59, when it again says their testimony did not agree. And I think it is ironic that the only thing they agreed on is about that they didn't agree. It was the only consistent part of this particular trial was the inconsistency of it all the way through start to finish. So verse 57, we get deeper down the rabbit hole here. And some stood up and bore false witness, and this is plural imperfect, so this is multiple people standing up, repeatedly, saying, now, if you look at your English translation, you'll notice that verse 58 starts with a quotation mark, right? The first character there is a quotation mark. We heard him say, comma, and then a singular quotation mark, so a quote inside a quote. So in Greek, oti is the first word in verse 58, saying, we heard him say, Present active participle, he said this multiple times. The next Greek word is oti. It's a quote inside a quote. So your English translators are doing a spectacular job of quoting this quote inside a quote because that's what the Greek actually says. So good job to the translators. I heard him repeatedly say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. So which, which temple are they talking? So which city are we in at this point? Let me back up, big picture. We're in Jerusalem. We're going to stay in Jerusalem, right? This is the scene kind of stays here for the rest of the book. We're in Jerusalem. They're, they're probably relatively close to the temple itself. Uh, they might even be able to see the temple from this spot. I will destroy this temple that's made with hands. This is the physical temple that we are talking about, right? And in three days, I will build up another not made with hands. Now, look at the word for made with hands. I have tried so many times this week to learn how to pronounce this word, it never even comes out close. So um, I, want, I look at it and I want to say cherry potatoes. And that is, it is fundamentally not what that is and not how it's pronounced. But in my head is stuck cherry potatoes. But if you look at the word not made with hands, is there a difference between not made with hands and made with hands? Yeah. Like, ah! Yes, that's exactly right. Just one little word, A, on the front, which means the opposite. So what is the building 
What is the temple that is not made with hands? We're going to get theological here for just a second. The what? The body of Christ, which is what? Everybody wave at me. You got it. It's us. Jesus is talking about the church here, which is really kind of cool. That even though they couldn't agree on the details, their theology was actually pretty good in this kangaroo court. That Jesus is going to, this temple is going to pass. There's another that's going to be built, not made with hands. So I want to I pause here for just a second because I want to I hear from you guys about what you have heard about the trial that wasn't the way it was supposed to be. So what have you heard about the trial of Jesus that wasn't done according to the way it was supposed to be done? Yes, ma'am. It happened at night, right? Okay, so I have, uh, I brought with me this morning my copy of the Mishnah. So you can think about the Mishnah as, um, how can you think about the Mishnah? The, uh, <laughs> the, the ruler's handy guide for making decisions according to the law. Um, like, like how do we, how do we take what Moses wrote and apply it today with some examples and give some additional context and guidance around it? Um, now, I'll, I'll tell you just a, a bit about the Mishnah. So the Mishnah was um, up, until, up until actually the Mishnah, really, the, the rules around how to interpret and apply the law were not written down in Judaism. It was all oral tradition that was handed down. And this is one of the reasons it took so long to become a rabbi or a ruler or to sit on the council is that for decades you had to study under somebody who was orally communicating to you all the details around all this stuff. Like it was a slow, slow process. So I'm going to read something to you from Strauss's uh, exegetical commentary of the New Testament uh, about the Mishnah. And you might be wondering right now, where are you going with all this? I'm, I'm coming back. Don't worry. Don't worry. All right. Uh, so the Mishnah was codified at the end of the second century. Um, the concern that I have with trusting the Mishnah as this is what the rules were at the time of Jesus is that some of the things that show up in the Mishnah are a result of that didn't go well. Let's put some additional structure and guidance around what ought to be rules and what ought not to be rules. So just, I want to I keep that in mind as we go through. So one of the things about the Mishnah uh, that talks about uh, what's going on, this is uh, in the Sanhedrin section, this is chapter 4, uh, it, Mishnah 1 actually, and this is where you came in. So it says, therefore, trials may not be held on the eve of a Sabbath or on the eve of a festival day. Like, oh. Now, why would you not want a trial on the eve of a Sabbath or on the eve of a festival day? Could be trying to rush it, right? Or depending on results, you may have to terminate someone. Could have some work 
to do immediately thereafter, right? Because there was not a, if you were found guilty of whatever, sentence was carried out immediately. There was no, well, let's appeal, let's, no, no, no. Like, this is, this is as high as it gets. There you go. What were the commands for the eve of a festival day or the eve of the Sabbath? In, if you had to sum it up in one word, what would the word be? Yeah, like rest. This is not active, like it's not a let's go get busy and do it. No, 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 rest. And what you certainly didn't need was all the religious elite doing something that looked like the opposite of rest. This was not a positive thing. Uh, so in my notes here in the mission, I have this occurred on an invalid date. Now here's some, uh, and it goes on, like this is not riveting reading, I will tell you. Uh, but it goes on for a couple pages about the witnesses, and if the witness says this, then it's okay. If the witness says this, it's okay. But if another witness comes in, it's just, it's really. Um, yet if they contradict one another, whether during the inquiries or the cross-examination, their evidence becomes invalid. Doesn't seem like there's a lot of wiggle room there, does it? Like, no. Good. So you've got invalid date, you've got invalid witnesses. Okay. What is Jesus ultimately convicted of? Being what? God. No. <laughs> What's he ultimately convicted of? Look at your text. Verse 64, you have heard his blasphemy is what he is convicted of. Now, the blasphemy was... I'm God, <laughs> right? And the blasphemy was also true, yes, absolutely. Which is probably the only time you'll ever hear me say the blasphemy was true. Right? But it, you, I think you get the context here. All right. In uh, the Sanhedrin, this is chapter 7 now, Mishnah 5. Uh, the blasphemer... This is specifically a rules around blasphemy, is not culpable unless he pronounces the name itself, and name is capitalized. See, the only way you got convicted of blasphemy was if you actually pronounced the unutterable name of God. And is that what these witnesses says, say that he did? No, absolutely not. So you have invalid evidence as well. Now, when it's time to... Uh, when it's time for the judges to hear, here's what the judges are supposed to say to the witness. Say expressly what you heard, and he says it. And the judges stand up on their feet and rend their garments, and they may not mend them again. What does this, uh, in verse 63, the high priest does what? He tore his garments. He plays his public role, right? Because this is not about Jesus. This is about them. Like, this is the thing that, that we get sidetracked on sometimes. Like Jesus was disrupting their political and financial and authoritative structures. And that's what they were going after. And they were gonna, willing to do anything and everything uh, to make this happen. And then one more thing. This is in, uh, in the Sanhedrin chapter 11, Mishnah 2. Uh, this is an invalid location. You actually were not allowed to hold court 
other than in these three places. Three courts were there in Jerusalem. One used to sit at the Temple Mount. One used to sit at the gate of the um, Temple Court. And one used to sit in the chamber of hewn stone. So you have an invalid date, an invalid location, invalid witnesses, invalid evidence. And how many, how many voted guilty? All of them. But what about Joseph of Arimathea in chapter 15, verse 43? What way did he vote? Well, it says he was a member of the council. And this is the whole, no, 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 no. Now, the chief priests and the whole council, yep, Yep. back in 55, they were all there. So Joseph votes guilty and then goes and gets the body. Yes, ma'am. Uh, Agreed. Agreed. Uh, What was fundamentally the council's job, the Sanhedrin's job? Like fundamentally their job is to what? Hear cases over and over and over and over and over and over again, all day long, not every day, most days, but to hear case after case after case after case, and there was something different about Jesus. And I don't know if you have ever been in a situation where uh, you take some action and then you have a little bit of time to think about it and you're like, you know what? I don't know that was right. I think I missed that. I think I was wrong on that. And I don't know if you've ever been in a big group setting because this would have been 71 people plus the, uh, the elders and there were some additional chief priests and there were some scribes. I mean, this would have been easily a hundred plus people and when you're in a big big group have you ever like i'll raise my hand have you ever struggled to be the lone voice against a decision i sure have absolutely and then later on you're like this is this was that was not nope and i gotta wonder if that's where joseph of arimathea was in all of this but something happened uh, for him to go get that body Now, I say all that about the Mishnah. Again, written about 170 years after these events, but it might have been a look back of this, some of this was in place, some of this wasn't in place, but a couple of these things are actually in the old, yes sir. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, you can. I'm. I'm sorry. They're stomping upstairs. What was that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm in meetings all the time. That they're going to do what they want to do. Like, 
There you go. So they, and, they started that. And what I, what I didn't read to you out of the Mishnah, because there's not a one sentence that sums it up, the order that evidence is received is order for innocence first and then for guilt. That's right. Because that's not what they're about. That's not what they're interested in. So I was looking this week for some cute, interesting way to tie all of this back to Christmas. I got nothing. Okay? I got absolutely nothing. But the thing that I settled on is that if you look at Jesus in this text, the unrelenting, unremitting faithfulness, it's just beautiful. It's just absolutely beautiful. Um, and I don't know what you and your families are going to be focusing on this week, but his faithfulness is a great thing to focus on. Um, it is a beautiful, beautiful picture. Sir? His compassion, absolutely, yeah. Because at any time, he could have called down legions of angels and just dealt with all these bozos, right? And just, nope, nope. I'm going to, we're scratching, we're wiping all this clean, we're going to start over. Didn't do any of that. He had obedience still to be faithful to, to his father, uh, and he was, and he was, and he was. All right, so Lord willing, uh, on January the, what is my date, 9th, I think it is, we will pick back up with verse 59, and uh, yeah, so hang on to that handout. So as a reminder, no Sunday school next week, no Sunday school the week after, we pick up on January the 9th. So if you come back in here, if you log on, you're going to get static. It's not what we're doing. Um, one last thing. I ordered some books, and uh, they arrived in July, which was kind of early for Christmas. But uh, I have, I think, like 150 of them. So if you need stocking stuffers, uh, I boy, do I have a treat for you. <laughs> uh, and they are up here. They are Dane Ortland's uh, Gentle and Lowly which if it, I was telling uh, Chris Cordes earlier, um, if there are 10, maybe 15 books that from this decade that people will be reading 100 years from now, that's going to be one of them. Like it's shockingly, shockingly good. Um, and, uh, and I think it's a great way to say Merry Christmas. So with that, uh, you should have a weekly update at your table. If you will uh, grab that, make sure your name's at the bottom, update any prayer requests, praise the group, take as many as you want. Like my objective today is to not put any back in the closet. So if you want to take a case, that's fantastic. Take a case. And Merry Christmas to you and all of yours. Love you guys. That's the lesson for today. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.